tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the Podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Dr. Laura Carlson, and I explore the history of food. From empires of sugar to lunch counter revolutions. Whether it's mom's home cooking or opulent hundred-course dinners, food has fueled politics, technology, religion, and more. History is full of food. And on each episode of The Feast, we're bringing you the meals that made it. And the dogs are going down. There's Chestnut. He's the defending champion. He's looking for a 10th championship. He jumps out right in front with two, but both Esper and OG, they keep trace with him. That's a surprise. I was looking for, well, finally we get Stoney in there. This is the 2017 world-famous Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Run every year on July 4th at Coney Island in New York City. The contest has gone from pretty humble beginnings back in the early 1970s to something so famous and well-known that it's actually broadcast, complete with color commentary, every year on ESPN2. And just in case you were wondering, in 2017, Joey the Jaws Chestnut took home his 10th hot dog title at this competition, downing an incredible 72 hot dogs in just 10 minutes. Nathan's may be the most famous, but you can find eating competitions all over the United States, let alone the world. From classic American pie-eating contests at local or state fairs, you can find people lining up to compete to eat vast quantities of, well, just about anything these days. There's the annual Vidalia Onion Eating Competition in, appropriately enough, Vidalia, Georgia, And looking at the websites of the two most popular competitive food organizations in the United States, wait, let's back up a minute. That's right, there are at least two entire organizations dedicated to competitive eating events in the U.S. alone. And among them, there have been between five to ten of these contests in just the last month and a half. There's been, for example a taco eating championship in Minnesota, a bratwurst eating contest in Oklahoma, a moon pie eating championship in Tennessee, a shrimp cocktail eating contest in Indianapolis. And that's just the states. 
Every October, Toronto, Ontario hosts the annual International Poutine Eating Competition, where this year, well, Joey the Jaws Chestnut actually won that one too, eating over 25 pounds of poutine in 10 minutes. Apparently, his expertise isn't limited to just hot dogs. The man is a bona fide competitive eating celebrity. He's even been featured in Vanity Fair. Competitive eating is a worldwide phenomenon. In Korea, the phenomenon of mukbang, where hosts record themselves eating incredible amounts of food while talking to their audience, often just at their kitchen table or counter, regularly can reach millions of viewers on YouTube. The genre is so popular that the streaming gaming service Twitch even introduced an entire subcategory of social eating in July of 2016, populated almost entirely by mukbang hosts. When I last checked, the category had over 50,000 followers. From the online phenomenon of mukbang to live events like hot dog eating contests, there's a long history of competitive eating all over the world. Many of these competitions, from hot dogs to poutine to shrimp cocktails, feature foods the local community identifies with as their own, from eating Vidalia onions in Vidalia, Georgia, to poutine in Toronto, although I'm sure the province of Quebec would have something to say about that. But what if your hometown's pride is a food competition itself? Forget annual hot dog eating contests or even online broadcasts. In the prefecture of Iwate in northern Japan, competitive eating can be just another night out with your friends or even family. And what's the food of choice for these nightly battles? Noodles, of course. Specifically, soba. Known as wonko soba, Iwate restaurants specializing in this tradition give diners the chance to go toe-to-toe with each other to eat as many bowls of soba noodles as possible. And here, diners regularly can eat over a hundred bowls of noodles in a single sitting. Wanting to learn more about this tradition, we talked to Dr. Greg de Saint-Maurice, a culinary anthropologist who focuses on Japanese cuisine. Greg got to experience this soba noodle battle firsthand while working and teaching in the country a few years ago. In front of us, they have these small bowls, um, you know, small lacquered bowls with... I think on the side, probably, they had different kinds of uh, things that you could add to noodles. You know, like, so thinly sliced green onions, um, probably, you know, like a red pepper um, spice blend, things like that. Uh, And then there are these women who are serving the noodles. And so they'll take a bowl and they'll say something like, hi, jan, jan, and then they'll put noodles into you know your bowl any individual's bowl and it's an eating competition so you have to see how many you can eat and you know you win obviously by eating the most but there are several sort of twists to this one of them being that um you can only stop eating when you have an empty bowl and when you have succeeded in putting the bowl, the lid on top of the bowl. So the waitresses are really sneaky and try to get extra noodles into your bowl so that you then have to finish it and eat more. Now, every time it's not like 
you know, a huge bowl of noodles. Yeah, maybe about, you know, the size of a coffee cup. Of course, if you're truly dedicated to your soba and have beaten your friends one time too many, you can also enter Iwate's annual Wanko Soba competition, held every year in November. With both an adult and children's league, would-be soba champions are arranged on a stage with a cavalcade of servers and cooks stationed behind them. As they finish each coffee cup-sized bowl, another serving of noodles is dropped neatly into their vessel. It's a well-oiled machine, with noodles traveling from cook to server to diner as quickly as possible, with empty bowls piling high around the stage as the competitors struggle to finish as many noodles as possible in time. But let's back up for a minute. What exactly is soba? And why are these noodles, soba noodles, the basis of this epic slurp fest? Why not udon, or any other kind of noodle? Turns out, soba has quite a history in Japan. Well, I think we find evidence of soba pollen, uh, soba being buckwheat. We find buckwheat pollen back, you know, into the prehistoric period. And people were certainly growing it in the 8th century. There's records of it being mentioned as a famine food, something you plant during times of famine. But soba is really difficult to process, and uh, it wasn't until 1300s or so that stone mills come to Japan, and they're more widely available, allowing people to grind the soba, and it became easier for people to eat soba. But still, to make buckwheat noodles is really hard. This is Dr. Eric Rath, author of Food and Fantasy in Early Modern Japan, and the more recent, Japan's Cuisines, Food, Place, and Identity. But despite soba, or buckwheat's, early origins in Japan, making noodles from this plant is a bit of a trick. Because, despite its English name, buckwheat isn't a wheat at all. More closely related to sorrel, or even rhubarb, buckwheat has been used as a cover crop all over the world, and has often been a vital food source for millions, thanks to its ability to survive in relatively poor soil. So it's a great food— but making noodles from buckwheat flour isn't exactly an easy task. Buckwheat doesn't have a lot of gluten in it. So it's a really hard grain to form into any kind of dough. So what people would do is they would eat the raw dough as opposed to making noodles with it. And they would eat this dish called sobagaki, which is basically the way they eat soba or buckwheat in Tibet these days. If you go to Tibet, they parch buckwheat and make a flour out of it and then mix that flour with tea or with hot water and make uh, a meal out of that. It's kind of like a national dish in Tibet. And it's kind of interesting because that's perhaps where soba originated from. It's not until the 16th century that we see references to buckwheat noodles, and it's called cut buckwheat to tell us, kind of give us an idea about how they're preparing it. They're making a flat sheet of, of dough and then cutting these noodles. But in cities, cities, soba becomes the fast food of the age. It's the equivalent of ramen today. By the 19th century, according to some reports, there was a soba shop in every neighborhood in Edo, what we call Tokyo today. Soba noodles went from zero to hero in a little less than 200 years. From struggles to even make the flour into noodles, to a soba shop on every corner. But where does the competition element come in? When did the idea of trying to eat more noodles than your neighbor take off? Well, 
try as the Food Network might to make us think they invented food competitions, from Top Chef to Cutthroat Kitchen to even Man versus Food, making eating or even food itself a sport is hundreds of years old in Japan. I looked at these um, broadsheets that advertised or, or depicted the, the most famous foods of the age. And there were a number of vegetable dishes on one side and seafood dishes on the other. And then there were a number of condiments in the middle. To use another example, these early Japanese broadsheets would be something along the lines of seeing a poster advertising a boxing match, like Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier. You know, big names up top with any of the earlier boxing matches and smaller fonts down below. But instead of two professional boxers being advertised, it'd be something like... For one night only, five-time U.S. champion Mac and Cheese takes on curly fries in the center ring. See the undefeated tuna casserole battle it out against pot roast. All right, I'm exaggerating a bit. But as Eric Rath sees it, these broadsheets were designed to be entertaining, even funny, in a society that was increasingly interested in ranking everything and anything. So you have these everyday dishes that are ranked one against the other, in a format that people are used to because it's the same format that's used to rank sumo wrestlers even today. And people knew this kind of style and very clever individuals said, hey, why don't we do something else besides sumo wrestlers here? Let's rank foods. Let's rank hot springs. Let's rank different doctors in our town. And how they came up with these rankings, which should go first and which should go second, I think is a real mystery, but that's also what makes it so interesting. People kind of puzzle it out. Why is this tofu dish rank above this uh, other dish for eggplant? You know, that kind of thing. It gets you thinking. This broadsheet is not advertising the great cuisine of Japan of today or, or of the early modern period. You don't find sushi on there, for example. These are dishes that are part of the ordinary cooking repertoire for people. That's what makes it so absurd, is that they've been put in this heroic contest. It's like putting scrambled eggs up against oh, a bowl of cereal. They're both so mundane and so much a part of our daily lives to see them in some kind of uh, military or sports competition. It's just absurd, <laughs> you know? But what about soba noodles? Where was its role in the sumo broadsheets of its day. Interestingly, despite a soba shop on every corner, soba noodles never feature in these broadsheets, which seem to favor more seafood or vegetable dishes. Rice, for example, never appears. But that's not to say soba noodles didn't face epic battles of their own in early modern Japan. There, there was in 1776 a parody published in a satiric picture book, a kibyoshi, called Soba Udon Bakemono Oeyama, which was a parody of a famous story of a, um, a samurai from, I think, the 12th century who triumphed over the demon Shutendoji. What they do is they make a parody of all the names, and here it's the Soba is slaying the, the demon of Udon. This is Dr. Lori Brow associate professor of Japanese at the University of New Mexico. Now, if you need a quick refresher on your Japanese noodle varieties, Lori Brow is here to help. The difference between soba noodles and udon noodles, I mean, if you've had them, you know that udon are sort of chewier and bigger and 
um, heartier sort of, um, whereas soba noodles, at least the Edo style of soba noodles, I mean, there's also sort of country soba, which I like. It's heartier a little bit, but the Edo noodles are supposed to be thin. And the idea is that um, they should be thin and um, sort of more refined, I guess. But where does the epic noodle battle come in? Why pit these two noodles against one another? Can't we be just one happy multi-noodle variety family? As it turns out, like with so many other things, a noodle is never just a noodle. And in Edo's case, that is, the city we now know as Tokyo, soba was a symbol of local pride, a manifestation of the city's new importance in early modern Japan. It's interesting that soba becomes, in a sense, a symbol of Edo in response, in sort of against the the old culture of udon. Um, I, I just think that's really interesting. And then what happens is, is not only is it the food itself, but how one eats it. The true connoisseur of Edo soba barely chews it. it you enjoy the feeling of it sliding down your throat. Um, so there are all these, uh, I mean, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit, but there is this this uh, sort of aesthetic of iki, which is chicness, that I think is associated, or at least some of the scholars of Soba like to associate it with this very sort of highly regarded um, Edo aesthetic. It's very popular in, in Tokyo and northern Japan, and people identify themselves that way. The 18th century story of the Soba samurai defeating the demonic udon could be read as a triumph of the new city of Edo, a shift in the cultural hub of Japan from traditional Kyoto to the young upstart that was Edo. But what do these 18th century stories have to do with modern competitive noodle eating? After the break, we'll find out how Soba stories from early Japan not only led to the noodle fests of today, but also contributed to an entire genre of not only food and culinary comics, but some of the best-loved and most popular food TV there is. This is Fire Chef America. Three... The Feast is brought to you by Care Of, a new kind of vitamin company. I don't know if you've visited the vitamin section of your local drugstore recently, but, well, it's a jungle out there. From daily multivitamins to folic acid capsules to essential oils, there are just too many options. I've basically given up trying to figure out what vitamins or supplements are right for me. And that's what makes Care Of different. No awkward visits to the drugstore, no trying to chase down someone to help you. Just visit Care Of's website, answer their easy questions about your diet and health goals, and you'll receive a personalized vitamin plan in minutes. And with their monthly subscription plans, your vitamins will just show up at your door. Easy. Go to TakeCareOf.com and take the quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendations now. And for a limited time, you can use the offer code FEAST to get 50% off your first month of Care Of. That's F-E-A-S-T at TakeCareOf.com for half off your first month of vitamins and supplements. 
Messi. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. The Feast is also supported by CastBox, the fastest-growing podcast app around, with over 9 million downloads in only 18 months. CastBox is now an official Google Editor's Choice app, one of only 25 apps globally to receive the App of Excellence title, and the only podcast app to receive the honor. And there's even better news for podcast listeners. CastBox has just launched an in-audio search capability— it's a brand new way to search for podcasts you may love, based on words or topics that are mentioned in episodes. CastBox is available on iOS, Android, and desktop. It works with both Google Home and Amazon Alexa as well. See what all the buzz is about and try CastBox today. In a few hundred years, soba had gone from a humble cover crop to the trendiest food around in Japan, with shops on every corner, tied fundamentally to the rise of the new cultural capital of Edo, or Tokyo. And with all this attention, Soba was landing the starring role in food writing, from comic stories about epic samurai battles to more down-to-earth discussions of what restaurants made the best soba in town. This one particular source that I've referenced before called Soba Encyclopedia, Soba Zensho, it was just this person who is kind of like a, I like to compare him to a blogger who's out there writing about his passion for Soba. And he writes about it in all sorts of different ways, how to prepare Soba, the best place for the buckwheat, the best restaurants, Soba competitions, in other words, uh, eating competitions and so on and so forth, just from a really purely stream of consciousness uh, way of writing like a modern blog makes reference to different types of noodle shops and all the different types of schemes that they use to try to attract customers. So some, for example, have beautiful lacquer vessels that they serve their noodles on to try to attract customers. Others use special things like uh, ingredients from various parts of Japan that give their soba and edge. So it's kind of like the modern day period where people are always trying to find something, some gimmick to luring customers. Well, we see the same thing in the early modern period. Although the soba encyclopedia was never published, food or gastronomic writing became big business in Japan from the 1700s to modern day. And we're not just talking cookbooks or even restaurant guides, but also what is popularly known as manga, Japanese graphic novels, or comic books, where food, and often very specific kinds of food, is the focus. Food manga, often known as jiori manga, has been popular for decades and has been the focus of Lori Brow's research. 
I call it food manga in English because Diori means cuisine and it also means cooking. But now there's a new expression I've seen, shoku manga, which shoku is another way of pronouncing uh, the character that means food uh, or taberu means to eat. Um, so shoku manga is just food manga. And if we look closely, the sumo wrestling food battles of the old broadsheets might be the distant ancestors of modern food manga, which has been a popular subject in graphic novels since the mid-20th century. Food manga seems to have developed out of a genre originally intended for young boys, where the themes tended to be more along the lines of sports rather than anything to do with food. Popular topics ranged from baseball to wrestling, where heroic underdogs summoned their grit and courage to win the game or the match, or whatever it happened to be. And the manga-loving public simply could not get enough of this particular storyline. Manga writers searched for new ways to have the underdog triumph over the day. And it was only a matter of time before the storyline made its way into the kitchen. Ajihe, Hochonin Ajihe, Ajihe the knife man, um, or the chef, um, was a major uh, work that kind of developed the formula of, you know, the, the young chef is really, really, very talented and somebody challenges him to a food, like a cook-off. Um, so that's basically how it works. Now, unless you're a food manga fanatic, Ajihe the Knife Man may not seem all that familiar. But it's food manga like this that have given us some of the most iconic reality food competitions on TV today. And there are lots of competitions, just like we are familiar with um, Iron Chef. That actually came from, not that it came directly from Ajihe, but um, these manga were a very strong influence on the uh, television show Iron Chef. Um, they, there had been a number of manga before that show came out, a lot of manga that featured this, um, narrative element of, you know, who's the best chef. And then part of it was determining why a particular dish was more effective. So there's a strong element of gastronomy in there or of, you know, evaluating food, which is kind of what, gastronomic literature does. So it's kind of interesting to combine that with a popular culture literature for um, boys. That, that to me is kind of interesting. Food remains an extremely popular theme in manga today, inspiring a number of television adaptations from various series, from Iron Chef to The Lonely Gourmet or even Midnight Diner. So from Wonko Soba to Food Manga, Competition has been part of Japanese food culture for hundreds of years, and soba certainly has had no small part to play in it. Although ramen may be the trendy noodle dish of today, it looks like soba hasn't given up the fight just yet. You can buy soba-making kits now. There are soba-making experiences you can participate in and classes. So there has been somewhat of a revival, and this organization that I discovered online called the Sobalier Society. They're Soba Sommelier. 
Um, and it's a group of people who are just aficionados of this particular dish. And the people who join the society learn how to make soba. They Part of their training, if they wanted to get a certificate as a sobalier, um, then they, they study through their own palate by going to different soba restaurants and taking notes and, and learning how to talk about it the way you learn how to talk about wine. Anyway, I just think that's wonderful. And I think if I ever can get a grant to go there and become like stay in Japan for a year and get my sobalier license, um, I would be like totally up for that and write about it. That makes two of us. Who knows how the soba gastronomes look upon the slurp fest that is Wonko Soba, but it's clear that neither soba nor food competitions are going anywhere in Japan. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson. Technical direction by Mike Port. A huge thank you to Dr. Greg de St. Maurice. Dr. Eric Rath, and Dr. Lori Brow for taking the time to speak with me about the history and development of soba and food in general in Japan. You can find out more about all of their excellent research and work at our website at www.thefeastpodcast.org. There is way more to soba, wanko soba, food manga, and more than we could even hope to cover in this episode. And their articles and books are a great place to start. And if you're looking for more podcasts on Japanese food manga in particular, the Kitchen Sisters put out a great episode on it earlier in 2017. We'll put a link to that episode on our show notes. Music today by Jazar, Andy Cohen, and Drone Mont. And if you like The Feast, make sure you're subscribed in Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast app you like so you never miss an episode. And if you like The Feast, please consider leaving us a review on whatever podcast app you use. It really does help. Well, that's all for us this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more meals that made history. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.